unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Greetings, Christian friends, in Christ Jesus. And so the rains came, didn't they, and this morning God's sun is shining. It's nice to greet the day in God's house, and I hope that all of you are glad that you came. Today, as you know, is the 14th Sunday after Trinity. And in the early Christian church on this Sunday, the minister read from the New Testament as the epistle lesson a portion of Paul's letter to the Galatians, especially there in the fifth chapter. And if you recall something about Paul, the great missionary, you remember that it was on his first missionary journey when he and Barnabas they went up into Galatian territory, up into Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and there they preached Jesus Christ and established several Christian congregations. Later then, he wrote this letter by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to that congregation. And we find here, and this shall be the subject of the sermon this morning, that in this fifth chapter, Paul is writing to those Christians at Galatia about a very interesting and a very timely subject. He was writing, think of it, to those Christians about those horrible desires that you and I and even all Christians have in our hearts, those lusts of the flesh, those cravings that you and I have that we know that are wrong. This is what he was talking to them about. And he reminded them, he says, and you know what I mean. He said, these desires are very evident, and he mentioned some of them. He says, Galatian Christians, you know what desires, those dirty, sinful lusts that we have in our hearts, the desire for adultery, for fornication, for all kinds of uncleanness, for all kinds of lewdness as regards sexuality, a drunkenness and carousing and hatred and jealousy and envy and ill temper. He said, you Galatians, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the dirty desires of our hearts. And then he said, and I need not remind you again because I've told you this before when I was with you, that those who do these things, those who yield to those horrible desires and those horrible cravings of the heart, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God, they shall be lost. He said, you know that. And then there came, as he wrote to them by inspiration, there came the answer to this thing, to tell them, this is what you can do so that you'll not fulfill those lusts of your heart, so that you'll not yield, you'll not give in to them, that you won't lose your own soul in doing that. And he said, this is the answer, this is the panacea, this is the remedy, this is the victory. He said, walk in the Spirit. If you will walk in the Spirit, if you will follow the Holy Spirit, he said, Galatian Christians, if you will turn to the Holy Spirit for help in this thing, you will find that you will not fulfill, you'll not yield, you'll not give in to those lustful, sinful, horrible, dirty desires in your hearts that you're even ashamed to admit that you think sometimes. And today it's rather timely, isn't it? For our age in this 20th century, Paul speaking by inspiration of God, he says to those of us who are worried sick about these desires that we find in our hearts, who find ourselves rather troubled when we look into our own hearts and we say, and I am a Christian, and look at the thoughts that come into my mind. A look again of the evil lusts and look at the cravings. Look what comes. And then we're rather ashamed. We say, they're there. And we say, I'm very much concerned, I'm troubled. I know that if I do these things that I shall be lost. I know that I shall not belong to the kingdom of God. And 
We may cry out and we may say, I'm worried sick about these desires. What in the world can a Christian do that he isn't lost because of them? And St. Paul, to those of us who are concerned about these things that we find in our heart, Paul says, this is the answer, Christian friend. If you are worried, sick about these things, and these things trouble you and they keep you awake, he said, know this, walk in the Spirit. If you will turn to the Holy Spirit for help, then you will not do these things and you will not be lost. Turn to the Holy Spirit. And you and I may say this morning, but if we do turn to the Holy Spirit and we walk according to him, and if you and I ask him for help in this tremendous craving of our hearts, will the Holy Spirit have the power to be able to help us? Will he help us so that we aren't lost, that we don't yield to these temptations within our own hearts, these dirty, stinking desires? that we're so ashamed to admit that we have. If we walk in the Spirit, will that mean victory? Is he powerful enough? And St. Paul would remind you and me this morning, those of us who are worried sick about evil desires uh, that spring within our hearts and they worry us sick because we wonder what can we do? Are we, again, unable to do anything else but to do them and to yield to them? And Paul says, if you turn to the Holy Spirit for help, he has all the help you need so that you need not do these things. You need not fulfill them. You need never yield to them. There's no reason to be lost because of the sinful lusts of your heart. And we may wonder, is it true that the Holy Spirit, uh, that he has all the power necessary? And Paul would remind you and me in the first place uh, that after all, it was the Holy Spirit who was powerful enough to persuade you and me that we are lost and condemned sinners. Isn't that right? Oh, sometimes we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Bear in mind the Holy Spirit is God. Bear in mind he's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes us Christians. He works through the Word of God. And we may say, well, does he have enough power that he gives me the help that I need so that I can be a victor over these dirty cravings of my heart? Well, wasn't he strong enough to bring you and me to a consciousness of sin and to say that we are damned? Look at a man like St. Paul. There was a natural resistance in him as there's a natural resistance in you and me. We don't like to admit we're sinners. You and I do not like to admit that we stand before God lost and damned to hell and that we deserve it. Here was Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He thought wonders who he was. What a self-righteous individual he was. And yet that was the man when the Holy Spirit talked to him who said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And haven't you and I as a Christian said that we have cried out, O wretched man that I am, I am a sinner. I have broken God's law. And if God dealt with me according to justice, I deserve to be eternally condemned, to be lost forever. That took power to overcome the natural resistance in your heart and mind. We don't like to admit sin. We don't like to admit that we are lost and damned. But it was the Holy Spirit's power who, when he came to you and me, who convicted us of guilt and of punishment. And therefore, let's know this, that when we are worried, sick about these horrible desires within our hearts, and we say, where can I find strength to overcome them? Paul says, just turn to the Holy Spirit for help, and he will give you all the help you need, because if the Holy Spirit had strength enough and power that when he came to your soul and mind, that he convicted us of guilt and of punishment, then he also certainly had power to give us a living faith in Christ to bring us to life and salvation. 
You know, by nature, you and I don't like to believe in Christ. By nature, Paul didn't want Christ the Savior. Paul wanted to save himself. If there was any saving to be done, he was going to do it. But the Holy Spirit was able to overcome that in him, that Paul turned to the Christ of Calvary. And you and I as Christians have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have come to see him who died on the cross for our sins as the only way of salvation. The Holy Spirit has tremendous power. Look what he has done for us. He has brought us to faith in Christ, overcoming any resistance and reluctance to believe in Christ, wanting to trust in ourselves. Look what the power of the Holy Spirit has already done in you and me. And if he's got the power to bring us to a conviction of sin and the power to bring you and me to faith in Christ and to bring us to life and salvation in him, then you and I can know this when we're worried sick about those evil desires, those horrible cravings in our hearts. And we say, where is there any answer that I can keep from doing them? Paul says, just walk in the Spirit. You turn to him for help. And therefore we ought to say to ourselves, I today, I will turn to the Holy Spirit. This shall be the joy of my life that I will turn to him with these horrible cravings that come into my heart even though I'm a Christian. And I will turn to him and ask him, where do these things come from? You know, it's rather interesting today when you read books on psychology and psychiatry to discover what does the psychologist and the psychiatrist say as to the origin of these evil things. And you and I say, I know they're there. You see, you and I know that these evil lusts are within our heart, these dirty, stinking desires. No one ever had to teach you and me how to lie, did they? We didn't take three easy lessons on learning how to lie, neither did I. No one ever had to teach you and me what it was to have adulterous, sinful, sexual thoughts. No one had to teach us that. And we turn to the Word of God and we say, where did these things come from? And the Holy Spirit tells you and me, we were born that way. The Holy Spirit takes you and me back to the Garden of Eden when our first parents sinned. And he tells us, as by one man, Adam, sin came into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all had sinned. We give it this name in the church. It is original sin. It is something that we inherited from our parents, that we inherited from Adam and Eve from the fall of the world. Jesus said one day, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. The imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. You and I were born that way. We were born with a heart just chuck full of dirty desires and sinful cravings. That was inherited. And that's why, young friends, as I would look at you this morning, I would say, no wonder the world has such an approach. No wonder the world has such an appeal. The world, think of the millions and millions of dollars spent in our country every year in pornographic literature. What's the whole? Because the world knows that young people especially have a horrible craving within their heart for adultery and for fornication and for lewdness when the days of puberty come. When I went up to Minneapolis not long ago, I went through Detroit and I stayed there at the airport for several hours, a layover, and I walked to the newsstand to buy a newspaper. And while I was there, I looked at the magazines. And I may say to you, I am not easily shocked, having been in the ministry as long as I am. But I may say again, when I looked at some of the literature that was out, and I have never seen a display like it, not even at O'Hare Field in Chicago, I was flabbergasted. It left nothing to the imagination. Books printed, oh, on slick paper, great photography in color. 
And I'm telling you, it was something to see. I never realized what degradation is on the newsstand, and I'm not easily shocked. And as I stood there and I thought, what does this do? No wonder with the cravings of youth to have access to something that a little girl walked up in her teens, probably 14 or 15, ill-dressed, and she picked up the one that again seemingly had the most of the worst and walked away with it. And I wonder, little girl, what's your life going to be if this is what you're going to feed your soul on? No wonder the world turns, young friends, because the world knows that you and I were born with cravings that are sinful, and that in the age of puberty it becomes that of adultery and fornication and lewdness. No wonder the world says, do away with marriage. You become a communal wife to several husbands. Let's do away with marriage, and it's a tremendous appeal. Because, you see, you were born, and so was I, with a heart that was dirty and rotten, filled with lust, filled again with a bent downward, filled with cravings. And when the Holy Spirit reminds you and me that's the way we came into the world, then today we ought to thank the Holy Spirit that in baptism the sin and the condemnation of original sin is removed. Jesus says the man's got to be born again. You've got to be born a second time. And he said by water and the Spirit. Thank God that in baptism, when you and I were presented in infancy, that the Holy Spirit in baptism, putting Christ in your heart and mind, brought the forgiveness of original sin, delivered us from the guilt and the damnation of the sin that we have inherited from our parents. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that there is forgiveness and life and salvation. God has thought of everything. It's, again, it's a timely subject, this thing of looking into our own hearts this morning and talking about lust, talking about evil desire, talking about the cravings of the human heart, and you and I being worried, sick about it, and saying to ourselves, how in the world can I as a Christian I know that I can't be saved if I do these things and yield to them. What's the answer? And Paul says, as he wrote to the Galatian Christians, just walk in the Spirit. Just turn to the Holy Spirit for help, and he'll give you all the help you need. And we say, is the Holy Spirit really the answer? Is he the panacea? Does he have the power that Paul thought that he had? And Paul reminds you and me in the second place that the Holy Spirit, if you and I turn to him for help, that he is powerful enough to get you and me, to get us to go to Calvary every day and to crucify this flesh with all of the affections and with all the lust. If we turn to the Holy Spirit when we realize how corrupt we really are inside and those desires that frighten us and we say, well, what about them? And I know if I do them and I yield to them, I know that I can't be a child of God. If I turn to the Holy Spirit, what about it? He's got power. Oh, he's got power to cause you and me to go to Calvary. He says, listen, son, listen, daughter. What I want you to do, I want you to go to the cross, and I want you to have a crucifixion every day of your life. I want you to go to the cross because Paul said, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its dirty affections and with its lusts. And the Holy Spirit says to you and me, you go to Calvary where your Savior was crucified, and you take the lusts of your heart, all of them, and I give you the power, take all of them and don't leave any one left, and go to the cross and crucify them every day. Nail them to the cross. And the Holy Spirit says, and I'll give you power even though there is a natural resistance. You won't want to crucify the ones you like. 
You won't want to crucify the ones that give you a lot of joy. You won't want to crucify those besetting dirty desires that bring so much pleasure, whether it's adultery, whether it's drunkenness and reveling, and whether it's ill temper, or whether it's hatred, or whether it's greed and envy. But the Holy Spirit says, I will give you the strength that you can nail all of them. I will give you, if you ask me, that even though it may half kill you, like cutting off your arm, to go to the cross of Calvary every day in your life and nail them to the cross. When you and I have done that and we've turned to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will give us all the help we need because he promises, I'll give you the strength that there will no desire of your heart, regardless of how strong the temptation, no desire will ever come that will be so great. But I'll give you the strength to say no. Paul, this man that said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this dead? He knew what it was to go to Calvary. He knew what a dirty, stinking heart he had. And he knew what a dirty, stinking heart you've got and what I've got. And he knew the answers. You've got to go to Calvary. You've got to go there and you've got to take all those lusts, the ones that you love especially, the ones that you don't want anybody to know about. And you've got to nail them up there and you've got to kill them every day. And the Holy Spirit says, and I'll give you the strength if you ask me. And then the Holy Spirit says, you'll have strength to say no regardless of what desire comes. That whenever from your stinking dirty heart and mind there comes this desire, whatever it is, for immorality, or whether it's for drunkenness, and whether it's for reveling, and whether it's hatred, or whether it's ill will, and a short temper, that the Holy Spirit says, I'll give you the strength to say no. And there will never be a time, he promises you and me, if we turn to him, that any corrupt desire of your heart and mind will ever force you and me to yield to it if we turn to him. And that's his promise. And that ought to mean just this in your life and mine when we say I'm worried sick about the things that are in my heart and we may say I wonder if the other guy has the same thoughts and may I assure you he does, even preachers included, because all of us are under condemnation by nature. And we may say to ourselves, what do I do? I turn to the Holy Spirit. We ought to turn to him gladly. We ought to turn to him and ask him for strength every day in this battle. You know, this is a battle that goes on to the end of time. You'll never get rid of it, never. There will be corrupt desires in your heart and mind as long as you and I have breath. They will come. And again, they will come whether you and I want them or not. We can't say to ourselves, they're gone forever. They're never gone. These are the sins of weakness. We don't want them there. We don't give our consent to them. We don't want to revel in them. But who knows better than you do or I the thoughts that can come into our minds. Who knows better than you or I? Oh, Paul says the spirit fights against the flesh and the flesh is opposed to the spirit and the two, they never get together opposed and they, it keeps on going. And this is a battle that you and I must fight. And it means that we ought to stop this morning and probe and say, do I go to Calvary every day and do I crucify this lousy, rotten heart of mine? Do I take these desires and do I nail them to the cross every day? Or do I hold out? Again, some of us may say, well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, immorality and incest doesn't bother me. A drunkenness is no problem or carousing. And so we have a tendency to look at these, the ones that you can see, and we wonder, but how about envy? How about hatred? How about greed? How about jealousy? And Paul mentions ill temper. How many of us as Christians have never controlled our temper? 
How many of us think we have the distinct right with that dirty desire in the heart? You can tell anybody anything, anytime, and they've got to take it. That you and I will assume no responsibility for any fault in our life at all, but just let somebody come to us and how we can fly off the handle and we have that right. How about this short fuse that you and I may have? How about again? You, can you and I ever imagine what may come? I had a man say this to me. A man walked in on him one day and found him in a rather uncompromising position. And he said this to me later when he was telling me it wasn't too much, but it was something he didn't want somebody to see. And he said to me, I'm a Christian, and I was in weakness. He said, you know the first thought I had about that man that walked in? He said, I never dreamed that I could do it. I wanted to kill him. He said, I was ready to kill him. And he said, if I could have and thought no one would know it, I would have killed him. This was a Christian man talking. You and I don't know what thoughts may come into our minds. But let's know this, that when we look at our besetting sins and say, what are they? And realize that anything may happen. How about this thing again of ill temper? When I was down in Egypt, thinking about having a reserve when we turned to God, down in Memphis, and I saw again one of the great statues of one of the gods of the Egyptians and we were told that Joseph of Egypt went by this temple every day when he was the second man in all Egypt and this was the heathen temple and I thought of him here he was a slave a Jewish slave sold into Egypt in the home of a Potiphar who was an official in Egypt who would have ever thought that he a slave man would appeal to the mistress of Potiphar who would have ever thought that she'd ever make a pass of him but she did, and he was the human being, don't you forget that. He was just like you and just like I. The craving again. The craving of sexes there and adultery. But right away there was a reserve because he walked close to his God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And he said, no, there was reserve. It was different with David, wasn't it? David had the same lousy sinful desires in his heart as you and I had. And when he saw Bathsheba, he didn't turn to God for help. He didn't turn for help, but again, he lusted in it and enjoyed it. And he and Bathsheba had quite a time, and a child was born, and he murdered her husband because he didn't turn for help. And then I stood again. I stood on Mount Pisgah, Mount Pisgah or Mount Nebo, where God had Moses, you remember. And they overlooked again right on the east side of the Jordan, and Moses got to look at the promised land before he died. Did you ever realize the tragedy of that scene? And as I stood on Mount Pisgah, and I thought here was the great man Moses, that God had chosen him to lead the children of Israel 40 years in the wilderness and to take them to the Jordan and to cross the Jordan and to see the victory of going into the promised land. And when they got right up to that moment of victory, Moses didn't get to go in. Do you know why? Remember down in Egypt, one day when he saw an Egyptian whipping a Jew and he in, let his hatred, he's let his anger get ahead of him and he lashed out in anger and he killed the Egyptian and he had to flee for his life. Moses had a tremendous hot temper. He didn't learn to control it. This was one of the desire, this was one of the cravings to get anybody told that got in his way. And what happened when he was out in the wilderness and they were without water and the children of Israel were complaining? And God said, speak to the rock, Moses, and water will come out. And Moses, with that temper of his, he took his rod and he beat the rock. And God knows what he said. And he beat, he beat, and the water came out. And he lost his temper. He forgot 
And he deliberately, again, he let a craving of his heart. And God said, Moses, your soul is in jeopardy, Moses. I've got to correct you. You're not going to go into the promised land. It's rather tragic when you stand at Mount Nebo and you think a man spent 40 years for the day of going into the promised land. And God said, no, Moses, and he died there on the east shore. He never crossed. Again, because he was a man that finally God corrected him, he had to learn to control his temper because his eternal welfare was at stake. It's tragic, isn't it? But again, the Holy Spirit says, if you turn to me every day, I will give you reserved strength that whatever the desire may be from your rotten heart, if you turn to me, there will be strength to say no, that you won't lose your soul. Oh, it's rather interesting, isn't it, to say, well, how about my heart? How about all these desires that we're so ashamed of? You know, sometimes you probably sit in church and you say, I guess I'm the only guy that thinks these things. No, brother, you're not. No, there's nothing unusual about you at all. Preacher included, the choir, the whole kitten caboodle. We're all in the same boat. There are dirty, rotten cravings, even as Christians, in your heart and in mine that we can be ashamed of. And when they worry us sick, and we say to ourselves, pray God, what can a man do that he doesn't lose his soul by doing these things? And by yielding, Paul says, this is the answer. This is the panacea. You walk in the Spirit. Because Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit, if we turn to him, he's got all the power necessary to persuade you and me to fulfill the virtues that he tells us to fulfill rather than the lusts of our hearts. And boy, that's some power to do that. You and I say, why, Holy Spirit, who in the world wants to live in love? Who wants to live in peace or in joy? Who wants to live in long-suffering? Who wants to live in self-control? And we may say to the Holy Spirit, that naturalism, we may say, there's no fun in being good. Why, the fun is let yourself go. You've got to live a little. There's only fun in letting these cravings of your heart go and do them. Isn't it strange? But the Holy Spirit says, if you turn to me for help, I will give you, and I've got the power of the help, that you will decide to live my way according to my fruits. And when that strength, and we turn to him for help, and then we begin to love, and we begin to find joy in him, and joy in our fellow men, and we begin to live lives of self-control and mercy and kindness, lo and behold, what do we find? To our amazement, we find that the Holy Spirit gives us strength and joy in living the Christian life. Some people say, where is there any fun in being a Christian? The fun of being a Christian is living the Christian life. I think sometimes we forget that the happiest person that ever lived was Jesus Christ. And why? Because he lived a perfect life. Heaven is perfection and holiness and joy absolutely in all of its entirety. Why? Because it's perfection. See, you and I are so depraved by nature that we think only evil brings joy. Jesus Christ would say to you and me, no. Holiness is joy because that brings peace, doesn't it? But when you and I walk according to the Holy Spirit in the things that please him, then there comes this joy that in our life we have the evidence that ours is the saved faith, a faith that saves us unto eternal life. And there's no greater joy than the peace of knowing that in Christ Jesus heaven awaits us. 
rather amazing. We say we're worried sick about these desires in our lives. And Paul says, walk in the Spirit. You turn to him for help. He has all the power that is necessary, and he will give you power that you can walk in the Christian way. Then today we ought to say to ourselves, well, since this is a battle that goes on for the rest of my life, and I was born that way, but there is no need for me to give in and to yield and to lose my soul, I can turn to the Holy Spirit for help. We ought to say gladly, well, I turn to the Holy Spirit through the Word for help and ask him to give me the strength to be a better Christian today than I was yesterday. You know, we ought to be growing in the Christian life, oughtn't we? We ought to be a better Christian if we find joy in the virtues of the Holy Spirit to say, my life is a little closer to Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit today than it was yesterday. And when there is growth in your life and mine, then there comes a joy and a glow in the way in which you live and I live that somehow or other is contagious and it Again, it draws others to Jesus Christ. You know, today the great emphasis is this. We're saying we, we want to do something in this world. You and I, want to, we want to do something personally. You and I, as a person, want to help some other person. We think that something can be done, and it can be, if you and I will just grow in Christ-likeness and then show mercy and kindness. You heard me mention at the lectern that two weeks from tomorrow night comes the adult lectures. I wonder just how many of us, when you heard that, said, by the grace of God, I'm going to invite somebody because this world is in terrible shape and other people, again, they have lusts and desires. I, I'm going to invite some of my friends who don't know Christ and I'm going to bring them. Or how many uh, said, well, that's for the other guy, but you'll be sure and ask how many were there the first night. Could it be this, that you and I are afraid to ask somebody? I'm asking you and me in the presence of God. Are you and I afraid to ask somebody who doesn't know Christ? Because when they look at your life and mine, they see nothing desirable as regards Christ that would want them to take a look at him. Is that what's wrong? Is it this, that you and I live so much again by the cravings of the flesh, that when they look at you and me, they say, whatever he's got, I don't want. Could it be that? Could it be that? Are we growing Sunday school teachers, what a thrill when you grow in Christ again to warm a child's heart. Luther Leaguers, what a thrill. And I would say this especially to you Luther Leaguers who are from Harding. And I say this to you because you're in the majority. In our Luther League, more of the Luther Leaguers are from Harding than in other school. Have you ever thought what an influence for Christ you can be in Luther League? when you are in the majority and that you will see that the other kids that come from the other schools where there are not so many represented that you would show mercy and kindness and consideration and go out of your way to let them know that they are welcome. I challenge you, Luther Leaguers, especially you Harding Leaguers, grow in Jesus Christ. Oh, we say, oh, this world. Well, yes, the world is rotten because your heart and mind by nature is rotten. But there's something we can do. I think of Paul. You know, Paul went up into Galatia. Did you ever know when he went up there with Barnabas and got into the Galatian territory and he got into Icon and he came to Lystra? And at Lystra, this is interesting, he went into a home to tell them about Jesus and he found a divided home. The father was a Gentile, he was a heathen. The mother was a Jewess and her name was a Eunice. And again, the grandmother was there, Lois, and they had a little boy named Timothy. And you know, this Paul, this little Jew from Tarsus, you know, he must have loved children. He must have paid attention. Here was a little Timothy. There must have been a glow in Paul 
that when he dealt with this young Timothy and told them about Jesus, that when Paul came back on his second missionary journey into Galatian territory and came to Lystra, and he asked young Timothy whether he'd like to go along with him, there was something about Paul that glowed. The Timothy said, oh yes, and he went along. Think of it. Timothy, two letters in the New Testament addressed to him. He went with Paul to the end of Paul's days, became a tremendous power in the early Christian church. Why? Because there was a Christ-likeness about Paul, that Paul took time for kids. He learned how to shake hands with children. I've never forgotten that in my ministry. You see, I grew up with a minister who never learned how to shake hands with a little boy. He was too dignified. And that's why it's been the joy of my life, and you know it. But when I stand at the door, no child, if I can help it, ever goes out of that door. But what I shake hands with that little boy or that babe, because the pastor I grew up under didn't have time. I don't want any child, oh, if I've got to miss somebody, I'd rather miss you than to miss your child, because what a handshake can do. How many young Timothys there may be in this church, if we can just show a little glow of Christ, and of mercy and of kindness. That's going to change the world. That's going to make it a little better. That's this person-to-person contact. Have you got time this morning if you see a stranger to shake hands and to show a little mercy? And look, that's person-to-person changing the world. Because you see, we're growing and we're on our way to glory. Yes, we're climbing Jacob's ladder. Don't you realize that? We're climbing Jacob's ladder. We're climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. So, the peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Mm-hmm.